Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of the York St. John Men's Mental Health Podcast. I'm Jamie Andrews, I'm the President of the Students' Union and I'm joined by University Librarian Tom Peach, Student Opportunities Manager Paul Murtoff, Academic Registrar Jim Irving and Current Student and YSJ Movember Ambassador Jamie Dukid. So thank you very much for joining me everyone. Good to be here. And so obviously November is Men's Mental Health Month. Um, you know, we're all familiar with the concept of, of things like Movember, getting the conversation started about different topics surrounding men's mental health. Now, obviously the idea behind these podcasts is that each week we'll tackle a different issue that affects men that might not necessarily get enough coverage. So this week we're gonna be talking about the famed phrase, toxic masculinity. Uh, now it's something that you know it has probably affected most men across the planet. You know, uh, it's described as a set of attitudes and ways of behaving stereotypically associated with or expected of men. It's a lovely little description that I've just got off my phone there. Um, and you know, it is massively regarded as having a negative impact on men and on society as a whole. So I'll throw, we'll throw it out to the to the team. You know, what is everyone's first initial uh, opinions of the phrase toxic masculinity? I have to think that the phrase has been, um, it's used in such a shorthand that I wonder if we kind of lost some of the original meaning. So, you know, if you think about how toxic masculinity is used in social media, you know, it's a very quick way of getting into a debate. And I, I kind of wonder if we lose some of the, the nuance around that, because um, it assumes one masculinity, it assumes, you know, or can be seen to assume that, I think. I think for me personally, I think it can be defined by kind of the societal kind of key expectations of the way men behave. They, they expect men, men to be very strong. They expect them to not show a great deal of emotion. Um, there's all sorts of these traits, which I think kind of because of social norms, men just are expected to comply with this kind of toxic masculinity almost. Yeah, I kind of feel that, that toxic masculinity in itself is defined in such a way that it in, it's supposed to inhabit who we are as people, who we are as, as the male um, species on this planet. It, it, it defines, it should define who we are and therefore actually subverts itself. Toxic, toxic masculinity has become something based off stereotypes and interpretations of societal roles. Um, and therefore toxic masculinity is in fact masculinity and I use that in subverted commas like going back to what Jim was saying about the even being this concept of masculinity um, it, it, it breeds from that but we're treat, we have to treat it in such a way as men that we, we have to hold it as a positive rather than a negative yeah yeah. I think obviously a lot of people have hit the nail on the head there go on Tom you were going to say something then yeah I think for me it's 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 a useful concept to force everyone to ask who is it toxic to um mm. so and obviously today we're, we're, we're thinking specifically about men's mental health so we're thinking about the, the toxicity um both inwardly and to and to the wider um men's community um but it, it's just it's a useful concept as a whole to to, to think about um who else does this impact and in what ways does it impact other people um and from there you start to branch out and see um its impact on not just um, expectations of men but expectations of women it helps you to 
think about um, how the expectations of both men and women impact on people, um, um, particularly like myself um, as, as a queer person, um, how that impacts on, um, on the queer community particularly um, with people who um, fit particular stereotypes or don't fit particular stereotypes and how that all maps onto those things as well. Um, so I, I just think, I think it's a useful tool for um, asking who does this impact and how so that we can get solutions to, for, for, for how, to, how to rectify that. Yeah, massively. I, you know, I think I agree with everything that everyone said there, and, and that as a as a, a sort of subsection of societal values, that where where does this idea of what is, um, you know, black and white masculinity, where does it come from? Is it when we look back to you know this old um, the old rhetoric of young men and uh, young men going off to fight in the trenches? You know, you know, our generation doesn't have it hard because you know we didn't have to go off to war at seventeen and eighteen and. And whether or not that, that has played a massive part because it then gets pushed down through the generations, you know, so growing up, um, I, you know, like, I, no doubt you guys did as well. You fall over your graze your knee and you start crying and you get hit with the whole, come on, man up, you know, don't be a big girl about it. So it, it then branches out to this idea that femininity as well is, uh, is a weak, is, is a sign of weakness and that, you know, not, uh, you have to act like a man. You have to make sure that you always have, always have a brave face on. So we've got, there's a, st a statistic here that's, that's very interesting. And according to YouGov, so more than 61% of young men in Britain feel pressure to man up as a result of damaging gender stereotypes. Now, obviously, then that leads us into further down the line, we have the issues like with Movember raising awareness about men's mental health because suicide is the biggest killer of men aged under 45 years of age. Um, now, does that come from this um, insistence on people, on, on men hiding their emotions from a young age, from the idea that you're not allowed to show emotion because, you know, you'd be branded as a big girl and that's somehow a bad thing? I, I, for me, definitely. I think that, you know, there was a programme I watched a couple of years ago where um, children, <coughs> toddlers, excuse me, were given uh, non-gendered toys and... Um, just sort of put in a space where there were there were non-gender toys and then there were toys which you traditionally associate with a, with a gender and the, the study kind of showed that if those children were left on their own in that environment they would play with pretty much all of the toys that were in there um, but as soon as you put a, an adult into that environment who's grown up in a kind of gendered society with, with gendered politics and expectation they'd start to almost subconsciously steer the, the child towards whatever the toys were that they'd associate with that gender. And I mean, this is so deep-seated in how we, how we um, sort of expect ourselves to behave. Even talking about this, um, for me, you know, it, it kind of brings up a sort of a, a, a almost a, a feeling of uh, how am I going to be judged for what I say about, about gender and about masculinity and how I identify myself. I, I certainly think gr growing up, I... Um... I, I could ultimately say I'm, I'm a stranger, even now, even at my age now, I'm a stranger to my emotions because we, we, we are taught. And it, I don't even think it, it, it's a fault of anyone. I think it's just something that's become implicit within society that, that there are these expectation, expectations on genders to, to act in a certain way. And because of that, I don't even think we need to get told in some respects to man up. I think much like you learn to hold a spoon and you learn to feed yourself, and you learn to drink from a cup. It's that, it's almost instinct 
but no one or very few correct that instinct because it 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 provides this this now as we now know because we're more conscious of it this this negative expression um and this negative way of of thinking um and but it does pose the questions as to whether what we expect of men and women is right or wrong like because as, as jim's alluded to you have to be conscious about what you're saying about it as well because you don't know how people are going to react because there's so many different interpretations of things and people have so many different beliefs it's very difficult to 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 know if you're saying the right thing the wrong thing um and you almost have to tread the line and i think that's a very dangerous position to be in sometimes where we can't openly express our thoughts because of the fear of backlash over expressing those thoughts i think for me i, I was i was never necessarily told to man up but i learned very quickly to relate the the concept behind manning up with uh, with what people needed of me so for example i was never told to man up but i was told i was very a very emotional child and a very sort of you know reaction to bullying and things at school um because i was very flamboyant and things like that the reaction was always oh you need to stop being so sensitive that was what i always heard stop being so sensitive um and i think it's very easy to internalize those kinds of things that you know your reaction to um you know things which should elicit an emotional response like bullying like um you know things unjust things happening to you your reaction should be an emotional reaction um that is a normal healthy thing except what we're told is oh, stop being so sensitive um you know you need to get yourself sorted about that rather than saying do you know that's not a nice thing that happened to you let's sort that out the reaction is you need to stop being so sensitive um, and i think that's because something that that, that happens at such a young age um, it's hard to unlearn that. It's still something that I'm trying to unlearn now. You know, um, every time something happens, I think, oh, did I overthink that? Did I overreact to that? You know, am I being too emotional about this? And, and that takes up so much brain power and brain time <laughs> just to try and unlearn something that, that we've been taught from a, very, from a very young age, really. I think that idea about the way children are brought up is really interesting um, because I think there's a lot of that the relationship between kind of the physical health and the mental health side of it where if you're a child and you fall over, you, you hurt yourself, you get told, oh, it's fine, get up, you'll be fine. Um, and I think that applies very much to, to the mental health side of it as well. If, you're, if you were a child in a school and somebody said something unkind, your teacher, your parents, who, whoever would say, oh, it's fine, just get over it, get over it. And as children, everyone's told to bottle it up, to bottle up their feelings, not to share it. You're not told to go home. You're not told to speak to your friend about it. You're just told, oh, it's fine, get on with it. And it's no wonder really that as adults, although it's getting better, most men still don't really speak about their health. Um, and it's no wonder that that's the case when as children, we are kind of drilled into us that you shouldn't be having those conversations. Um, I know a study that was done quite recently um, said that during the first COVID pandemic of the spring, 45% um, of men said that nobody had asked them how they were coping with the global pandemic and the lockdown. Um, and unfortunately, that's not really surprising to me anyway, um, because I think while we've came so far in the last 10, 15 years or so, in terms of being open and transparent about mental health, whether it's men, women, whoever, um it's still there's still so much work to be done 
but kind of during a global pandemic and when everyone's isolated it, it just it's just so much more important right now i think there's just such a, a massive um because there's such an attachment to of emotion to being a feminine trait and not a masculine trait um and because it, it all falls down to society building itself around the idea of, of masculine concepts and ideas being um you know further up the hierarchy of, of feminine traits that that has such a massive impact on all aspects of of, of how we live and navigate life i mean there was there was um there was a, a video of um, a reporter trying to um, interview Trump supporters um, and they were, they were asking um, um, this one woman about, um, about having a woman president and she was just like, no, we, we, you can, uh, you know, a president is, is, a, is a man's job um, because a woman would be too emotional and that would be too, um, that would be too problematic and she'd start all the, all the wars really easily and the, the interview was like, well, you know, all the wars have been started by men so far. So, so how does that work? Um, and I think it, it's once you start thinking about how different traits, particularly emotion, is becomes very gendered, and how that has, you know, such massive implications for not just our own mental health, but then politics and who people vote for, and how people navigate around people in public space. Um, you know that it, it, it's 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 really difficult and it all circles back then to individual mental health so like you know how is everyone going to see me if i enter this public space or if i um you know at, at work for example if i decide to go for a more managerial position where i'm you know more prominent i'm in more meetings i'm seeing more people how people are gonna respond to um you know like for me the more feminine aspects of my presentation how people respond to that how people respond to um the fact that I um, can come across more emotional in certain situations. Um, and then we see how it has real impacts on how people, you know, go about their daily life, which then circles back to mental health again. So it's this sort of never ending cycle that, that, that sort of never ends unless you try and find a way to sort of break it really. And I think we have a very dangerous position at, at the minute where talking about the, these expectations and, and these beliefs of behaviours and, and things and how that has a massive impact on people's mental health. We are in a very dangerous position at the minute with our youth in, in regards to that there is a child mental health crisis and, and that is often led by expectations put on kids which then comes through to adulthood. It, it will, if they don't deal with it now, it will transcend to, to what we have now because they're living by those expectations that's put on them to do well in school, to be academically amazing under these pressures set by government. And then when they complain that they're struggling with things, they are then told, oh, book up, get on with it. You know nothing of suffering. And we've seen that quite a lot. In, in the pandemic situation so far with reference to previous periods of suffering in, in uh, global history. Um, I notice now when, when I'm out and around, and it was something that happened when I was a kid, um, you, uh, Tom, you referred to falling down in a park and things like that previously. I know when I was a kid, I fell down in a park, I cut my leg open, but because I didn't cry, because I was in shock at what I'd done, because I didn't cry, I got told, oh, you're a brave boy, like, not crying. Like, let's go get you an ice cream and you'll feel better. And there was also that level of, 
me not crying and being brave and masculine as we would define it um is it got rewarded like i i got given a treat to make me feel better but then in in my head because i'm i'm in development de uh, developmental stages um apologies fumbling over my words because i'm in those stages it, it reads to me going oh well if i if i act that way then I, I get rewarded for it. So it's positive reinforcement to something that ultimately down the line can have a very negative impact on, on the way we act as a society and the way we act as a people. I, don't I think that concept really of reward, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know how Jim feels about this, but um, I think the concept of reward is super useful, and particularly just, just coming from my perspective, thinking about sort of the LGBT community, particularly the gay community, when we think about the ideas of reward, um, it's it's just, it's so common, so rife for um, for gendered expectations to be mapped onto onto couplings, onto onto how you are going to find um, love. You know, are you the are you the super feminine one? Are you the super super toxic masculine one? Um, and you know, it, it comes through. You know, even just in in dating life, when you you know have super super um, masculine people. Um, who will say, you know, no fems, no camp, no this, no that. Um, and it's, it, it, it sort of forces you to pick a side. And if you don't pick a side, then that's, that's, that becomes a really difficult um, situation to be in. Um, and it's, it, 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 it comes from a super long history, um, I think particularly in this country with, um, with particularly gay men um the concept of femininity and, and not being masculine um is camp and therefore that's something to laugh at you know we, we have it with you know for, the, for those of us who are old enough to, to to remember carry on films and um are you being served and all these kind of sitcoms where to be camp is the is the the butt of the joke it's the the thing that we will all collectively laugh at you know the the thing where we're not super masculine um and that really itself becomes quite toxic when you see yourself in that kind of in that kind of situation um i don't know how jim feels about that yeah i completely agree with that you said something earlier about the, the sort of the process of unlearning that you, you almost have to take yourself through so my experience i grew up in the 80s and uh, i grew up in kent which is quite conservative with a small c and i went to a a boys' school, and that kind of put a load of expectations around me about what it meant to be um, a man. And I came out quite late, so I went to university, went studied right the way through until my final year, and then finally uh, came out to a couple of friends while I was still at university, and then went into to work. And I still I went into my third job, and um, my line manager at the time just assumed I was in a relationship with a woman. And I didn't correct that. And, and it kind of, it, it's only looking back where I kind of, I feel that um, I have a real issue now with imposter syndrome, with feeling that I haven't earned or haven't deserved the, the role that I'm doing or, you know, kind of whenever I'm speaking publicly at, at events or things like that, I feel somehow that I shouldn't be there, that I'm not good enough to do that. And for me, I link a lot of that back to that sort of expectation and to almost suppressing part of my identity for a long time and that's influenced now the, the behaviors that I probably I'm still living with which I think it, it makes it really super difficult um and I found over the past couple of years with you know with the rise of the sort of the 
the straight metrosexual man who's really in touch with um, self-care and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, particularly the, the, how much, you know, celebrities like Harry Styles are really revered for um, how they play with their, you know, with their gender. And it's, it's not a sort of a, a jealousy because I'm, I'm so glad that there's that kind of representation out there, but it, it's, it's quite difficult when that's the source of so much pain for so many queer men particularly um that um some men who potentially might be straight i don't know about harry styles um get to potentially flirt with that a little bit more than than people who who it's been used against um so yeah yeah sorry i I think there's some really really like interesting points there something obviously something that I haven't really thought about, but I, I fully get what what you mean, and you know we, we could talk about this as a completely separate topic. Is this idea of of stealing traits and characteristics from um, sort of sort of um, I can't I've completely lost like the, the phrase, and um, but from sections of society that you know aren't typically re- normally represented or anything like that. You know you can take traits from them as long as you know you you fit into more of what is potentially you know a socially accepted traditional norm. Um, you know, as a, as a, for me, like as a, as a straight white cisgender male, you know, I've, I've never been in a box where I've been oppressed in my life and I can never pretend to understand what, um, what, what it feels like to, to, to fit into a group of people that, that have been, but obviously like I've seen the, the damage that gets caused by, by, you know, toxic masculinity when it comes to, because people end up in these positions where you've been raised to be a, you know, a man's man and an odd man and stuff like that, that that then spills over into, you know, people being homophobic towards people because, um, you know, they, they display what would typically be classed as a feminine trait. Um, and that was one of the things for me, you know, I, I, I put something on, on Instagram the other day or on Twitter or whatever it was about, you see a lot of men talking about, you know, how important it is to have the conversation with your friends and to check in on your mates and stuff like that. And that men's mental health is so important, but I don't think that those people then realize that that should be something that applies to all men, like not just what fits into your, um, you know, your, your gender norm, but what you think is classed as a, a, a man is that that applies to to all men, uh, to all men, whether you know, whether that be gay men, whether it be trans men, like anyone that identifies as a man, that they should fit into that. So it is those things of we're trying to remove these ideas of you know, our boys will be boys, and you know, like what we call like locker room talk and and stuff like that, and and rather than perpetuating like you know gender stereotypes of, uh, of of these you know big strong muscly masculine men that you know have these you know really high like sex drives and you know all the all, all these like um old um you know, you know stereotypes that you, you typically get um but rather than using them to then allow for environments where other men are you know are made to feel like they're not welcome it should just be a constant conversation I feel like I've rambled then. I don't know if I went off a bit, <laughs> bit on topic. It's hard when, you know, when you have a thought in your head and you're just trying to, um, just trying to get it out. It's just something that I find very bizarre that um, you know, some, somebody can have that much sort of animosity towards somebody else just because they don't fit into what they would class as, as, as a norm. Yeah, I think, I think you, you summed it up really well. It's, there's no right way or wrong way to be a man. But there is that expectation or, you know, the, the, when, we, when we think about toxic masculinity, it is all about those structures and expectations that you put around what is right or what is wrong, um, which is, we can't, you know, we, we can't judge things in that way. I mean, I think that's why they, um, I think that's, that, that's why that the, some of Trump's rhetoric um, is quite interesting, particularly around the pandemic, that suddenly the right way to be a man is that just by being the manliest of man, 
um, a, you know, a, a deadly pandemic that's claimed 250,000 people in your country, um, you know, if you're a manly man, it will actually get you. Um, I think that that's that's where it, it it suddenly. I mean, it's always a dangerous concept anyway. But that's where it, I think it, it just brought it sharply into focus. That suddenly, um, you know, something that's that, that's that's psychological, but then manifesting physical actions um, is being suggested that it's you know it, it can have a biological influence um, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, sorry to cut you off, Jamie. Oh, I think you, um, you made you, oh, which which Jamie. That's a really good. That's a <laughs> might be a problem. Um, I think you made quite a good problem, um, quite a good point before actually, Jamie, when you were talking about uh, things like social media and how we people post on that. I know I noticed. Um, obviously, last month we had World Mental Health Day, um, and that was really interesting to see. Um, not necessarily. I mean, personally, things whether whether it's Instagram, Twitter, I follow quite a lot of accounts linked to things like men's mental health, but. It was interesting to see accounts which you don't necessarily see those kind of mental health posts and Instagram stories and things like that coming up on. Um, it was I thought it was quite interesting. So quite sadly, last month, um, a lad who I knew who went to the same secondary school as me took his own life um, about a week before World Mental Health Day. Um, I think he was 21, possibly 22. Um, and he, he was a really popular lad. It was it caused a lot of shock, kind of a lot of my friendship circles. Um, and obviously World Mental Health Day was about a week later. So I think it was all in the back of people's minds. But then it stuck out to me that a lot of these people who are posting things for World Mental Health Day are the very same people who kind of impose toxic masculinity. Um, and I think a lot of it is that people do it without, the, without even realising um, they're the first to post on World Mental Health Day about men's health, encouraging people to speak up, encouraging people to seek help. But the, the, the way that they live, their relationships with friends, and they, they kind of reinforce that kind of toxic masculinity, the very same which stops people from speaking about problems. Um, but I, I do think that kind of instance between that very sad suicide around men's mental um around men's mental health month but also global mental health day really kind of brought to light some of those issues uh, yeah i think you've you, you you've hit the nail on the head there when you, you mentioned about how people don't even realize that they're doing it sometimes is that one of my one of my favorite i say obviously i use the, the term loosely is this idea that we have that a pint is what you drink if you're a man and you get a cocktail or something if you're a girl and i, and I don't understand that because i absolutely love cocktails like <laughs> You know, I enjoy a pint as well. You know, you can enjoy both. I know, I know girls that enjoy pints. I know men that enjoy, you know, cocktails and Aperol spritz and things like that. And I, that for me is one of the most bizarre things that at some point, someone somewhere decided that enjoying fruity, nice tasting drinks was less masculine than drinking, uh, you know, what is effectively a pint of fermented yeast. Like, that, that, you know, if you sit down with something with a parasol in it, somebody would be like, oh, you big girl or... You know, and it just, for me, it just absolutely baffles me. And, and like you said, Jamie, as well, about how um, these people that in their friendship groups and stuff like that, they're, they're, they are in reinforcing these ideas of toxic masculinity. People that use homophobic slurs, like, as just, like, language towards their friends and stuff like that. And, and it really does then branch out because how many of those people don't realise or what they're doing? If you've got a friend in your friendship group, for example, that might um, might be struggling with, you know, sort of gender identity or, or, or say like sexual identity issues. And if you and your group of friends are imposing these toxic masculinity like tropes on them, 
how damaging that can be. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why um, other, other um, you know, campaigns that are maybe not on, on the outward, um, outwardly obvious to do with toxic masculinity become so important. So for example, um, all the campaigns about um, reducing homophobic language um, in, on the football pitch and, and you know, by fans and things like that. Um, become super important because whilst it seems like it's it's just something to do with you know um supporting lgbt people um in sport actually when you look at the language that it's tackling it, it, it's tackling language which is harmful to to all men um mm. as well so it's about recognizing where these ideas are popping up in other sorts of of campaigns and and, and, and supporting those as well yeah definitely Definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, that we could go on forever, couldn't we? We could, we could talk about a lot of things. Um, I know, obviously, like, when we mentioned before, we'd be, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump and how they are two, um, effectively, you know, caricatures for this, this, this idea of, of toxic masculinity. And it is, it is funny, like, like you mentioned before, Tom, as well, about how, like, it brings out this idea of, of going back to, you know, 1960 nuclear family gender norms. Um, when I know, actually, I know before when you mentioned it, I know exactly which interview you're talking about. And I, I was watching it last night and he goes around and interviews different Trump supporters. And, you know, it's even this idea of how like sexual harassment, things that, that, that Donald Trump says is just brushed off as, oh, well, you know, that, you know, men will be men, won't they? Like that's, that's just him. But um, yeah, I, I think obviously like it's just important, isn't it? That as a, as a society that we do start to move away from this predispositioned idea that to be a man you have to be you know six foot six and you know muscly and never cried in your life and you know you have to have served in the trenches in France and stuff like that and that all men are, are men and it's as simple as that isn't it well and we know we know the impact it has on on health and life expectancy for um those who we talked about the prevalence of suicide but also the, the the fact that men don't or won't seek help for other medical conditions because there's that kind of drilling in that expectation that you will man up that you'll just get on with things yeah i mean i mean i i am not uh, afraid to to open up to say i i i, I have multiple sclerosis i i, I deal with with an illness on a, on a daily basis and I, I live with it for the rest of my life um and it has days with me where it, it absolutely destroys my day. Like there's, there's no other way to describe it. I, I, I have days where I suffer. But because of this, this predisposed notion that men are, are brave and tough and, and we should hide how we feel, I crack on. Um, I put a smile on my face and I go ahead and I do what I do. Um, I come to work every day. If it's the weekend, I will go out. I will still put myself through what I would do on a daily basis, even though I'm probably in absolute agony. But it's because of this notion, as much as I try to fight it and I, I, I post videos and, and, and things about my, my mental health and things, as much as I try to combat it, everything's still ingrained um, and it puts me off dealing with things. It, it, makes, it gives me a distraction and I don't face up to it and i think a lot a lot of men do 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 the same thing we we bury our heads in the sand and we just move on despite the fact how much we are hurting be that with physical pain be that emotionally um we we just move on because there is also the concept that well life moves on so don't dwell on things but 
sometimes things take over uh, and you can't you can't avoid it anymore i think from what paul said there's a really important nuanced conversation to be had about um that's relevant for, for lots of um, the things that we talk about where um, you know none of these conversations are about saying that as a man you cannot be masculine as a man you cannot you know as a person you cannot make the choice to you know each day if you're struggling to put on a brave face and to you know to, to get through it if that's the thing that, that that supports you in that moment you know as a personal choice in the same way that you know there's there's nothing wrong with as a man liking blue and as a girl liking pink if that's what you personally want the problem for me where toxic masculinity takes over is where that becomes something that you're obviously doing for yourself but then replicating as an expectation for everyone else so you know if you if you decide that you know you just want to get through the day in however you you know you want to that's absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with that the problem of it becomes is when people then put them as a you know expectations expectations onto other people so you know or i just get through it by by doing this so so why can't you or you know those those, those kinds of things it's about where those expectations are, are forced onto onto everything else and that is it's quite it's a really complex um and nuanced conversation to have that i think sometimes can get quite reductive um and quite black and white and it's just it, it's it's really really not yeah yeah i think i think again you know it's two really good points there in the same way that you know if you're a i know this is a bit different but if you're you know if you're really athletic and you know if you want to get up and run 10 miles every day like that's absolutely fine but it can't be a realistic expectation for everyone to follow suit and that you have to understand that some people might want to walk it or people might want to you know run a little bit less people might not want to run at all in the same way that like you say that if you do want to um identify as that um you know typical masculine uh, idea of a man then that is perfectly fine as long as you also accept everyone else and, and their choices Excellent. Right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, there's been some really good conversations there. Um, you know, massive thank you to everyone for, for joining today. And, you know, um, uh, you know, it's, it's been a real, real eye-opening conversation as well. Um, obviously, to, any, to, to anyone watching that, um, you know, feels that they have been affected by anything that, that we've spoken about today, there is support there for you through the university and you can go onto the SU's website and we advertise um, the support that's available there. But um, we hope you join us next week as well when we discuss more topics relating to men's mental health. But until then, we'll just see you all later. <laughs>